Matthew 5 is where we're going to be this morning. We're uh, in our sixth week of consistent character, study of consistent character. And I want to just, before we get into our text for today, I want to just reiterate our working definition for character. I think it's a good one. Every time I read it, I think that that just about works. Um, so I want to read it again. And then we'll, we'll get into uh, what today's topic really is on consistent character. Character is defined as strength of moral fiber. A.W. Tozer described character as the excellence of moral beings. I think these two descriptions are helpful. It says, as the excellence of gold is its purity, and the excellence of art is its beauty, so the excellence of man is his character. Persons of character are noted for their honesty, ethics, and charity. Descriptions such as a man of principle or a woman of integrity are assertions of character. Contrasting with that, a person who is lacking character has a moral deficiency. They tend to behave dishonestly, unethically, and uncharitably. A person's character is the sum of his or her disposition, thoughts, intentions, desires, and actions. It's good to remember that character is gauged by general tendencies and not on the basis of a few isolated actions. We must look at the whole life. In the last two lessons, we did look at some isolated actions, but I think that in the lives of the men we looked at, particularly David and Joseph, you could look at the entirety of their lives and find character. You'll certainly find lapses in character too, at least in the life of David. You don't find too many in the life of Joseph, at least that are recorded for us but you certainly find lapses of character as well. So it's good to remember that character is gauged by those general tendencies. You have to look at the the whole of life. Also in those previous two lessons, we've dealt with really these two things, the big challenges that we faced, and those are often faced publicly, or at least they're sometimes faced publicly, they test our character when we face them. But we also face many more, likely, private challenges. They test our character as well, but they test it behind closed doors. So today we want to learn from Jesus about our couple of things, our public displays of character, And then the private behavior that must certainly be present to make our public displays possible. Can I say that again, just so you're clear on that? We're we're looking at our public displays of character and then the private behavior that must certainly be present to make the public displays possible. During the course of this um, series of lessons, I keep thinking of people and of incidents 
and of situations where I've made note of people and thought, that is a great representation of character. And there was always this present in any of those instances. And if I were to relate the narrative to you, which I don't have time for this morning, but if I were to relate it to you, I think that you would do the same. This is what I think. There's a lot behind the scenes on that thing I just saw. You know what I'm saying? So you see someone display a remarkable Christian character, and you think to yourself, there's a lot behind that. It's, it's related to their relationship with God in private moments. And you think, I don't know how they would have got to this point where they have publicly displayed their character, their honesty, their integrity, their kindness, their helpfulness, their charity. Whatever the case is, I don't know how they would have got to that point in life without some private moments like the ones we're going to talk about today. I think I'm going to make this more clear as we go along. This is not, um, this, I, um, I've been struggling with this uh, series of lessons a little bit because um, these are not, if uh, someone were to be writing a book on character, I don't know that these passages would be the ones they would include. Um, perhaps something like the fruit of the Spirit Maybe one of the places they would go first. We have tended not to list for you a series of character traits and then go through those character traits. We've looked at some people who had displayed character. We look at what happened when they did that. And today, this is not really a, this is not really, this passage is not necessarily a lesson on character. Pastor Dennis Walton started two weeks ago on um, talking about prayer in our Wednesday evening prayer fellowship. And he went to Matthew 6. And when he got to Matthew 6, he, he began just reading a few things, and he didn't even read a lot. And I thought, this really relates to our study on character. And then this week, I thought, well, I'll do Matthew 6 on the radio. And I wound up doing Matthew 6 through the whole week. And then I went back to Matthew 5 for just a a little while on Friday afternoon. And, I, and then I said, I think I said to Deborah sometime throughout the week, I have to do this for Sunday. I have to do this for Sunday. So these things change as we go along. If we could choose a word to describe the kind of Christianity that Jesus is describing in this passage, we would probably call it authentic now, it's unfortunate that the word authentic has been used so often in the day in which we live because I think it might lose a little bit of its meaning. But I want to, if I could, take you to the dictionary definition of authentic. And there are four, there were four points, one, two, three, four, under authentic that I thought this really does describe what we're talking about today. Not false or copied, genuine, real. Now, the only part I would quibble with on this is the word copied, because I think all of our character ought to be copied. All of it. 
because we ought to be reflecting the Lord Jesus Christ and his character traits, but it's not false. It's real. It's genuine. Having an origin supported by unquestionable evidence, authenticated, verified, representing one's true nature or beliefs, true to oneself or to the person identified, entitled to acceptance or belief because of agreement with known facts or experience, reliable, trustworthy. Now, there's a lot just in this definition we could think about, but we're going to see a lot of this in the passage that we want to talk about today. So we're going to review our mandate to shine as lights in the world. We've already mentioned that here. But we want to speak also of the things done in what this passage calls secret. They seem to have much to do with making it possible for us to perform those public acts of devotion to Christ with authenticity so that they are supported by unquestionable evidence, so that they represent one's true nature, so that they're entitled to acceptance or belief because of agreement with known facts. They're reliable. They're trustworthy. We've all seen actions that were untrustworthy, haven't we? We say, no, that's phony. I don't buy that. I don't believe that. That's not authenticated. That's not verified. It smells phony. This, all of this today is not like that. It is not like that. Let's, um, let's go to the middle of Matthew chapter 5, because this is where we want to start today, and verse 14. And it says what we are. It says, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Jesus must certainly be speaking to those of us who know him as our Savior. For how can those who remain in darkness be described this way? If you went back to the end of chapter 4, we see who he's talking to because he says, seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was said, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, he's talking to his disciples. Disciples, you are lights of the world. That means us. If we know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and are following him, it's saying to us, you are the light of the world. And so those of us who have light, based on our relationship with him, must, as we've talked about already in this six weeks of lessons, must reflect his light. 
This light shining endeavor is one that is by its very definition and nature public, right? It says a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. You would put the light on a candlestick so it would be high enough that it could provide light to the widest possible area. And then it says, let your light so shine before men that they may see. That's the purpose of light, right? To see. It's illogical. In most cases, impossible to hide the light. It says a city on a hill cannot be hid. It enters into the world to illuminate the darkness. Now, we have passages about Jesus where it said he would come into the world, into a dark world. He would be the light, but we're to be reflecting his light. It's to provide a way to see that wasn't previously available, right? When a light enters the room, it's remarkable because there wasn't a light there previously. We have uh, the privilege of doing this radio show every week. Um, Pastor Walton brings people in, from our church in to tell their stories, and they, they talk about the light and how the light entered their lives, and everything is different now, and they see differently. And the reason it's remarkable is because when the light enters in, now they're seeing clearly for the first time. So that's what we're to be. This light shining assignment is one that we cannot avoid. It's our mandate. And it says here that it comes in the form of good works, which is an interesting statement because we will often think negatively about good works, but primarily we think about it negatively in the sense of doing good works for the purpose of obtaining salvation. This is not what that's talking about. It's talking about doing good works. It's referred to in one commentary as noble works, works which by their generous and attractive character win the natural admiration of men. This is doing right in the world. And it's as a result of knowing Christ. It's based on the light we possess. And it's due to our relationship with God. But then in the next portion of this passage of Scripture, I want to read it to you, but I don't want to elaborate on it too much to start with, except that I want to point out one particular phrase that I want us to hang on to. So let's read the next portion, which relates... But for the purposes of our study this morning, I just want us to get to the end of this. It says, think not that I, that's Jesus, am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. This is Matthew 5.17, by the way. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of the least commandments, these least commandments, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness 
shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. And that's what I want to hold on to for the moment. Your righteousness would or shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. This idea of righteousness exceeding that of the scribes and Pharisees makes us think, doesn't it? You would have to know a little bit about the scribes and Pharisees in order to get an idea of what it's talking about. Thankfully, the next passage gives us a few descriptions of the scribes and Pharisees because there are other places in the New Testament that reveal the scribes and Pharisees doing exactly what Jesus says not to do in chapter 6. We don't have to think long about this idea before we begin recalling some scriptures that would teach us that we're made righteous through Christ. We're not developing our own righteousness through works. It's been in many cases the basis of the first two, three, maybe four lessons on consistent character, at least the first three. So later passages make us think about this further. And I, to skip the, to skip those, to skip down to verse 43 was very difficult because those other passages are really, really helpful too. But let's, for the sake of time, skip down to verse 43 of chapter 5. Because I think this is going to help us. You have heard that it has been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. That may have been said of the scribes and Pharisees. People uh, certainly make educated guesses on whether that is the case. They talk about different places in the um, the um, writings of different um, rabbis and things that talk about that. But I can tell you this, if you haven't heard it from them, you've probably heard it from the world, right? Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You heard it somewhere. And Jesus says, and he, he does this throughout this passage, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Those are, those are some pretty startling statements, I have to tell you. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian or how long you've been following Christ. Those, when you read them, you think to yourself, ooh, that's still difficult. Ooh. Even those that are despitefully using you, what if they're doing it right now? It's tough. That ye may be the children of your Father, which is in heaven. Love your enemies, bless the ones that would curse you, do good to those that would hate you, pray for those that despitefully use you and persecute you, so that you would be the children of your Father in heaven. 
I'm going to stop right here and say, so you can have some authenticity. For he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. And he sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. In church, we say God is good, and we say God is good all the time. But I have to tell you something. God is still good if you're lost. Still good. He makes the sun to rise. He makes the rain to fall. If you have crops and you're an evil person, you can still grow crops. God makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Then it turns it back to us for a minute. Tells us why this is too easy any other way. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans do the same? You can pick out in your society the worst of the worst of people, which the publicans clearly were. They were kind of the standard of evil, in, at least in this passage and a few others. And you can pick those people out and you can say, if people love them, they love those people in return. That doesn't say much about you, does it? I do just exactly as all the evil people do. If you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans do so? It's a low bar. <laughs> it's a low bar to say, I will love those that love me. I will not speak unkindly, providing that you don't speak unkindly to me. I will treat you in a correct manner. I will have courtesy toward you, providing you have courtesy toward me. We don't pick those people out and say, well, they have character, do we? We don't pick those people out. We don't say, we don't say, wow, that's a special degree of character that you have, that you have loved those, that, that that person said something nice to you, and therefore you said something nice back. No, that's very cheap. It's cheap. You want to talk about startling statements? After he says, love your enemies, bless those that curse you, do good to them that hate you, Pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. Then he says in verse 48, Jesus says, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. He's already said before this, your righteousness has to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. And now he goes on to say, you've got to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. We already see some roadblocks to that. We say, whoa, whoa, whoa. We saw what the law did in the Old Testament. What the law did 
uh, God said, here's what you need to do in order to be righteous. And we saw that the people who were under the law, the people of Israel at that time, they looked at it. They said, well, we'll try to do that. And they failed to do it. And in the New Testament, we see that they, uh, it says that they had no hope of doing that for it was there to show them how sinful they really were. And we say, whoa, that's, I don't see how we can possibly be perfect even as our Father in heaven is perfect until we start thinking about passages in the New Testament and perhaps in the book of Romans that tell us that even while we were enemies of God, we could be made right. And that Jesus came to take the punishment that we deserved and that he would impute his righteousness unto us, which we didn't deserve. And we talk about grace, which is unmerited favor that we receive that we're certainly not deserving of. We talk about mercy, which is not receiving the punishment that we should have received. And we say, ah, ah, okay. Okay, I I think I understand now. My perfection is going to come from Christ, not from myself. From Christ. And yet we still have responsibilities, don't we? We still have responsibilities. We're talking today about character. We're talking today about character so that we can set a high standard, the kind of standard that Jesus has already set for us. And this is where Immediately after this, he begins to talk about our secret lives. I think that's no coincidence whatsoever. This kind of perfection that's talked about in verse 48 was something the Pharisees could never do. It was something much deeper than the kind of righteousness the scribes and the Pharisees had. It would be much deeper than that. What essentially Christ is saying, both in the verses 45 and 46 and 47, and in verse 48, is to be like God. That's why I quibbled with the definition, uh, at least the dictionary definition for authentic, on the idea of copying, for that's what he's essentially saying to do. Be just like God. The bar is set high for us. We want to learn a little bit about the standard from the next several verses. Because this is next. Be therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And then this. Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father, which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory of men. Verily, I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret that thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. Alms are charitable activities of a religious nature. They're charitable giving 
opportunities, donations, their good deeds intended to help others. But they can be done for the wrong reason. You could fit them right back into the Matthew 5.16 passage, which says, do good works. Our desire must be to help in an authentic way, never for the purpose of personal gain, but for God's glory and for their good. I think he's given us a little, a little something to consider here. He talks all about how we'll be a light. He talks about the standard we should have, about the standard certainly at salvation. But then he starts to give us some insights on what this kind of person, how this kind of person is to behave in regard to their religious activities. Now, keep in mind what I'm saying when I say religious. I'm talking about the the things you perform as duties for others, things that we're commanded to do, things that we're, we ought to do because Jesus said so. And he says, when you do this, when you undertake some charitable endeavor, keep it between you and God. This is certainly not always the case. But it certainly needs to be the case often. Often. It's just like the next passage, which talks about our prayer. Certainly some prayer is public, but this ought to be the case in our prayer. It says, when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Now, you'll notice that he talks about in the synagogues and in the streets, and there was a reference back to the scribes and the Pharisees. Certainly we see them doing things like this, announcing themselves, um, making a big show of the spirituality that they supposedly had. And so we see we can go back to that portion where it said our righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Please don't get confused about the idea of salvation and the idea of the things that we do after salvation. But here's what we have. It says, don't do it the way that they are doing it because it's for a specific purpose. We could at this point go back to that uh, example that I gave you a few weeks ago How that if I'm visiting grandma every day and I'm trying to help grandma every day, I don't know if everyone was here to hear this, but I'll describe it again. Uh, if I'm, if I have a grandmother that is in the, uh, that is in the nursing home and I'm visiting her every day and I'm trying to provide help to her every day and someone might say to me, what a wonderful thing for you to do. And then they were to ask, what are you doing that for? And I were to say to them, because she's got a lot of money, and when she kicks the bucket, I want to get some of it. Everything changes for you at that point, right? That's essentially what this is saying. You can do the same things 
but for radically different purposes. And they were wanting to be seen of men. And that's what was happening. They were being seen of men, and that was the only reward they really had at that point. It says, but thou, you who need to be perfect like the Lord is perfect, when you pray, enter into your closet and shut the door and pray to your father, which is in secret. And thy father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. Between you and God, something authentic, something genuine is to be taking place with you. But everybody at church thinks I'm a doesn't matter. Is there something taking place in secret that is allowing you to be the kind of light that is spoken about in Matthew chapter 5 verse 16? says this, and it says it right before this model prayer that we have, astonishingly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetition, repetitions, as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your father knows what things ye have need of, before ye ask him. Now, I mentioned that this becomes before this model prayer because it's often called the Lord's Prayer and it's often repeated vainly. Interesting that that would be the case. But these prayers that we're talking about, between you and God, in secret, in your closet, by the way, with the door closed, They express a genuine reliance upon God. For why would you do them in secret if you didn't rely upon God? What use would they be to you to look good to the other people at church? They reveal a need for him, right? This is an absolute heart of character. You get in your closet and you say, I genuinely need you, Lord. Nobody is seeing this, okay? Nobody sees it. Just between you and God, you said, look, I need you. If I have any hope of being perfect like you're perfect, this is what I need. Time between just you and me. There's not vain repetitions happening at this point. This is real communication between the creation and the creator. That's why it's in secret. Nobody needs to be there to see it. They're not a forum for appearing as though we love God, but they're for expressing authentic love for God in a private way. There's another secret thing. In verse 16, we're going to skip this model prayer. I might come back to it here because I, I really wanted to leave it in. If there is time that we're to set aside to go without food, 
for either a petition to God or a worship of God that is focused without distraction to express authentic love for him or to do that privately as well. Verse 16, moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Now I'm going to speculate a little bit, okay? So bear with me on that. I want you to know this is a, a speculation because I think when it says, in these different instances that God will reward thee openly. I think there's probably lots of, uh, lots of applications for this. God obviously has rewards for us in heaven. God obviously, uh, uh, blesses us in so many ways out in the open. But I was wondering what kind of blessing a person like this would desire to receive. And I wonder if it is glorify, Lord, let me glorify you in the world. I wonder if it's that. Because all these things that you're doing in secret, God is somehow rewarding and he's doing it out in the open. And I, I wonder if the reward that is desired by people who have this kind of character is that they would be able to glorify him and be a light to others. You ever thought about that? That's just a speculation because I know there are many things that God rewards, ways in which God rewards us openly. I wonder if that may be the desire I'll tell you what, I know that it happens. Have you ever found out something that was kind of private about a person? Because I have. Sometimes when you're in uh, places of leadership in a church or, or an employee of a church or, or a, in a ministry, you stumble upon something that is secret about somebody that they didn't mean for anyone to know. Have you ever done that? I've done that. And you think to yourself, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised that they've been trying to help this person in a private time. I'm not surprised that they gave money to this cause or to this person. I'm not really surprised that for the past 20 years, they've been praying for this situation. I'm not surprised. You know why I'm not surprised? Because I've been able to see their character and it's become obvious to me that there's something occurring in secret that's making them that way. And the part that I'm seeing seems to me to be a reward for the things that they've done in secret. Did I say that wrong? The things that I'm seeing in public 
seem to be a reward for the things that they've done in private. Have you ever noticed that? Seems to me that's the case. All this private activity seems to be evidence of a saved person's righteousness, the kind of righteousness that's been imputed unto them, the kind of righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Why does it do that? Because it's real. And it represents no hypocrisy. Good character, often resented, uh, represented by good works, begins in the heart of a true believer in Christ, who is seeking those things which are above. It's never for the purpose of self-glorification. It's for the purpose of God's glorification. And if you were to read Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, it would say at the end, at the last verse, that's in context with those previous two verses, you have to read it for yourself, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Today, the challenge of authenticity. Oh, it's a challenge. There's nothing in here that would be easy for us. Frankly, even these private times, these secret times, such a challenge. These private acts of righteousness, what a challenge. Avoiding trying to look righteous, what a challenge. But we have no hope of having consistent Christian character without it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for this sermon that you presented to your disciples, that you present to us. We've, uh, we've just done a feeble job of even expressing it today, and yet um, there's so much more in there that we could go back and read that would teach us things that um, would really help us on this idea of character. So uh, uh, help us to be diligent enough to uh, read your word further and seek you in these areas. And uh, we pray for this uh, missions-focused day today. And it'll be an exciting time. Please help us in it. In Jesus' name, amen.